Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and of course, whoever. Well, mostly whoever, unless you're someone who's really sensitive about people making fun of religion. Anyway, uh, before we start, I think I may have gained a new Patreon supporter. It looks like I'm up to 19, although I may have had 20 at one point. I'm not sure. Um, I wasn't sure if I recognized any new names. And even if I did, sometimes I try to err on the side of caution because I know not everyone's crazy about the idea of having their name divulged on the air. But if you did recently become a Patreon supporter, thank you very much. And as always, thanks to all my patrons. Patreon supporters. The financial and moral support is greatly appreciated. And speaking of Patreon, I recently released a new bonus episode. I think it was roughly an hour, maybe over an hour, in which I talk about how I recently had some dental crowns done. And uh, stupidly, I bought a pack of cinnamon bears. Embarrassing. Yes, I know. Grown-ass man with a love of cinnamon bears. And uh, somewhere in my head, I knew it was a bad idea, but I ate them anyway. And they were so thick and chewy, they actually pulled my dental crowns out, and I had to go to have them re-cemented. Yes, my very back molar on my left side, my very uh, back molar on my right side. And I also share the uh, weird tale of how, out of nowhere, I received a package of uh, breast shields in the mail. Turns out it was some kind of weird mix-up. As a single guy, you can probably imagine how perplexed I was. You know, I just kind of paused and looked inside the box. What's in the box? You know, but that was like the last thing I would expect to find in a box addressed to me. But hey. So if you like the news story episodes, you are definitely in luck today because I have a ton of stories to go over that I've just kind of collected throughout the week. And I guess I might as well start with this story involving Kent Hovind, everyone's favorite young earth creationist slash used car salesman impersonator. But I'm being a little snarky. But on a serious note, is that an actual regional accent? Or is it some kind of phony carny accent that he cultivated? And I know, I know, glass houses and all that. I'm from the Boston area, if you couldn't tell, and I feel like we have an accent that is pretty much made fun of by the rest of the country, if not the rest of the world, so I'm trying to remain self-aware here. But seriously, if you have ever heard Ken Hovind speak, he really does sound like some BS carnival barker. It's almost, uh, it's too fitting, you know, it's surreal. It almost sounds like a snake oil salesman from an old western or something like that. We know macroevolution is false. You've never seen a man turn into a monkey. You've never seen a monkey turn into a man. I know this isn't exactly professional, but I'll play a little clip on my iPad, and hopefully my mic will pick it up. Matthew chapter 5. Anyway, welcome to Dinosaur Adventureland. We believe God made everything in six days and wrote a told us how he did it. Everything. Dinosaurs, everything. Dinosaurs always lived with man. They're part of the normal creation. They're called dragons in many cultures, and evolution is the dumbest, and most dangerous religious cult in the history of the world. So there you have it. And I imagine a lot of you listening are probably already pretty aware of Kent Hovind, if like myself you used to binge on atheist versus theist debates and that kind of thing. But for the uninitiated, I'll just read this little synopsis or introduction via Wikipedia. 
And so it says, Kent E. Hovind, born January 15, 1953, is an American Christian fundamentalist evangelist and tax protester. He is a controversial figure in the Young Earth creationist movement whose ministry focuses on denial of scientific theories in the fields of biology, evolution, geophysics, and cosmology in favor of a literalist interpretation of the Genesis creation narrative found in the Bible. Hovind's views, which combined elements of creation science and conspiracy theory, are dismissed by the scientific community as fringe theory and pseudo-scholarship. He is controversial within the Young Earth creationist movement, and Answers in Genesis openly criticized him for continued use of discredited arguments abandoned by others in the movement. And so let that sink in for a minute. Kent Hovind is so fringe that even Answers in Genesis, Kent Ham's organization, Kent Ham himself being a, this fringe young earth creationist, even Answers in Genesis kind of disowns or disavows Kent Hovind, or at least his ideas. Pretty wild. But the reason why Kent Hovind's been in the news recently is because he's facing domestic violence charges. He was arrested right around the end of July. His now estranged third wife, and I should put wife in quotes, because according to some sources, it's uncertain whether or not the marriage was even official or legal. But uh, for lack of a better word, his estranged third wife, a woman by the name of Cindy Lincoln, I believe, accused Hovind of physically assaulting her and uh, specifically body slamming her. And I know domestic violence is a very serious issue, but there's an irreverent part of me that almost wants to chuckle at this surreal image conjured in my head of this ludicrous figure, you know, Kent Hovind body slamming someone. Very strange. But I'm looking at a Patheos article, and it's not by Hemet Meta, and this isn't the Friendly Atheist. It's a Patheos channel or page entitled Roll to Disbelieve. And I believe the author uses a, uh, a pseudonym. Let's see. Captain Cassidy. Yeah, okay. Uh, but he gives a kind of concise, you know, neat little breakdown of Kent Hovind's marriage history. So let's see, Kent Hovind was married to Joe Hovind from 1973 to 2016. And so when I was first reading this, I remember thinking to myself, I mean, that's not a bad go of it. What's that, over 40 years of marriage to the same person? And of course, I don't know what the quality of the marriage was. Was he abusive? Was he manipulative? Or did they have a healthy, loving marriage? I don't know. But even though I'm a non-believer, and I don't believe that marriage is literally a sacred institution, you know, ordained by some creator god, I still respect the idea of two people who deeply love each other, you know, coming together and deciding to spend the rest of their lives together, you know, having a family or whatever. Um, I can still respect that. So, I mean, 40 years with the same person, as long as it wasn't an abusive, you know, miserable relationship, I think that's commendable. But continues, the marriage dissolved after he got out of prison for fraud and tax evasion. Yeah, I didn't mention that. He spent 10 years in federal prison for refusing to pay taxes. And the author says, I've seen rumors that he manipulated her, meaning his first wife, into leaving him. 
And so I guess quickly after they separated, Hoven moved on to a second wife, Mary Toko, T-O-C-C-O, wife number two, is a high-level anti-vaxxer. She married him in 2016 and quickly dumped him in 2017 out of fears of getting caught up in his sleazy business endeavors. In 2018, Toko spoke out publicly on the reasons behind the breakup. Because her ex is an, and this is obviously a very opinionated piece, an ultra-authoritarian who just can't not respond to any and all challenges to his power, he replied. Very quickly after the breakup with Mary Toko, Hoven moved in on Toko's friend, Cindy Lincoln. They claimed to have gotten married in July 2018. This past February 2021, Hovind watchdog Robert Batty revealed that Lincoln was no longer in the picture. Predictably, Hovind may have moved in on a fourth woman. He refers to her as quote-unquote Debbie. And so, strangely enough, it was actually Hovind who recorded the incident where, you know, he's accused of physically assaulting her. I believe he recorded it on his phone, just the audio, I believe. And I was going to play it for you guys, but I decided not to for a couple of reasons. Because it's audio only, I mean, you can't really tell what exactly happened. There is this disturbing moment where the talking ceases and you suddenly hear this series of loud noises and you hear this woman, Cindy, scream or yell. So I could see how listening to it, you might automatically jump to the conclusion that he attacked her. But with audio, there's only so much you can discern. And prior to that moment where things escalate and after that moment... Hovind is, you know, really talking in this calm, kind of nice manner, but my, I get the feeling that he's kind of being manipulative, you know, and he's behaving that way because he wants to come out as the one looking good on the recording. And so I'm paraphrasing, but after that moment where things escalate, he says something like, why are you attacking me, Cindy? Or something like that, you know? And it's, yeah, it's disturbing because... At that moment where you just hear the loud noises and you can tell something physical is happening, you can no longer hear Hovind clearly. It's almost like he's away from the phone for that moment. And you can hear him in the distance um, saying, you know, whatever it is, kind of interacting with her verbally. Uh, and then, yeah, so one reason why I didn't play it for you guys is because I don't think we really come away knowing that much after listening to it, I mean, I'm very willing to believe that he did physically assault her, uh, but without being able to see what exactly happened. I mean, there's only so much we can tell. And uh, the other reason why I didn't play it is because it's just really dis depressing and disturbing because, I mean, just the fact that you may be listening to someone uh, physically assaulting a woman, that's disturbing. And then after that, it's like she just has an emotional collapse. She is screaming at the top of her lungs like she's just having a, a complete breakdown. Like she can't, she's emotionally collapsing and can't take anymore. And so it's really disturbing to listen to. And, and so that's why, also why I didn't play it. But if you want to hear it for yourself, you know, it's out there. I think it's roughly two minutes long. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Hovind played it on his own YouTube channel because he thought it would vindicate him or something like that. 
And just for further context, I think the actual quote-unquote body slam incident took place last October, and I'm just looking at a Friendly Atheist article, and it's saying that uh, I think Cindy Lincoln claimed in her filing that they got married in July of 2018. Hemet Mehta says that's not true. On paper, Hovind is actually still married to his second wife, the woman he was with before Lincoln. And Hemet continues, but in his mind, that second marriage was spiritually annulled years ago. And this subsequent quote-unquote marriage to Lincoln was only a church ceremony with no acknowledgement from the state. And so that helps shed some light on the confusion over whether or not the marriage was official. But now let's move on from one fundamentalist lunatic to another. The next person we're going to be talking about is Josh Fierstein. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I say lunatic, but I guess that's if they believe their own crap. Uh, strangely enough, I get the feeling that Kent Hovind may actually be a little bit more sincere than Josh Fierstein. I feel like Hovind, when you listen to him debating an atheist about evolution, it sounds like, you know, despite the used car salesman delivery, that he may actually believe his own arguments. But I get this feeling from Josh Fierstein that he's just this complete phony, complete opportunist. It's just, you know, one of those things when you are watching someone talking or you're listening to them, you know, the, the BS detector goes off and you feel like they're not being themselves. This is an act. And I really, even more than with Ken Hoven, I get the feeling from Josh Fierstein that this is an act. And Fierstein is considerably younger than Hovind. I think Hovind is 68 and Fierstein is 40. So I feel like he's more keyed in to this you know, modern technological landscape and knows how to take advantage of things like social media, YouTube, and he knows what to say to get, you know, people worked up or whatever. And to that point, he's had a number of viral videos that have even been talked about by, you know, members of the mainstream media, uh, you know, talked about on cable news networks, etc., and perhaps most famously, and I think this was a few years ago now, there was a story in the news about a guy who was complaining that Starbucks holiday cups were too secular, complaining that they had removed the holiday symbols from the cups, symbols which I imagine were probably largely secular anyway, snowflakes and that kind of thing. Uh, in fairness, maybe there was some holiday messaging that was also removed, I don't know. And, you know, um, complaining further that they had replaced the holiday cups with the symbols with just a plain red cup. That was his big gripe. And now that I've mentioned it, maybe it's jogged your memory, because this was a pretty big controversy uh, back a few years ago, uh, as ridiculous as that sounds. And I just looked it up. Yeah, it was November of 2015. I can't believe how quickly time flies by. In November 2015, Fierstein posted a video on Facebook criticizing Starbucks for removing Christmas-related symbols from its holiday cups in favor of a solid red design. The video made national headlines, and Fairstein appeared on uh, CNN that same month. And so it's kind of trippy whenever I see that Fairstein's made uh, national headlines or whatever, because I found out about him through the Drunken Peasants podcast, which I've you know been a big fan of for years. 
And they used to, you know, talk about him like he was this kind of lol cow in, uh, you know, internet vernacular. A lol cow is, you know, lol, as in the lols, the laughs, is someone online who's just so ridiculous, you know, they're just constantly trolled and made fun of. And that's kind of how the drunken peasants, um, you know, covered him, is just this absolutely ridiculous figure. And they actually used to compare him to Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit because he was kind of a, still is, kind of a heavy set guy with a backwards baseball cap. And he'd just make these ludicrous, you know, fundamentalist religious videos from his car. And so seeing as how when I usually see Josh Fairstein, he's just some, you know, schmuck in his car with this, uh, what sounds like a put-on accent, you know, being made fun of by some podcasters I like. It's kind of, it's just kind of weird and surreal when I see him being taken seriously, you know, by um, the mainstream media. But at the same time, I think they're right to take him seriously because he, it, despite how ridiculous he is, he's also, I think rather dangerous because there are people who take him seriously and who listen to him and I don't know if he has a fixed location where he regularly preaches or if he's invited or gets paid to kind of go from place to place preaching uh, but yeah he does preach to you know fundamentalist religious types and they take him seriously and he says some dangerous stuff and that brings us to why I wanted to talk about him today in the first place. There's uh, yet another viral Josh Fairstein uh, video that's making the rounds. Uh, but it's actually footage of him preaching wherever. Um, and it's it's weird seeing him without the baseball cap and the oversized jersey or whatever. He's actually dressed up and he's turning into quite the pastrami monster. He's just this giant lurching mass of flesh and he's angry and red in the face got the the net you know the back of his neck looks like a pack of hot dogs it's it's and he's sweating like a pig it's 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 a the pig sweat i don't know but uh anyway i shouldn't be laughing because the stuff he's saying is quite dangerous he's basically saying that if you got jesus you don't need vaccines and you don't need masks. Great advice during a uh, pandemic, you piece of shit. Uh, pardon the language, can't help it. Anyway, uh, I'll play the clip. Here it is. Listen to me. I understand and let me speak now to the cameras around the world, to every pastor that's watching this broadcast, to every Christian that has cowered in your home. I realize that for this last year that maybe you've been fed fear and fear and fear, but the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You have a sound mind. You don't have to wear the mask. You got Jesus. You And it's weird, you know, as much as I dislike Josh Fairstein, I have to admit that listening back to the audio just then, <laughs> I might think what he's saying, his message, is abhorrent. But he kind of nails the televangelist voice, for what it's worth. You know, he does a good job with that. If, that, if that's your goal in life, is to sound like, you know, a televangelist, he's doing a pretty good job. It's actually more impressive when it's audio only. If you watch the video of that, and I'll include the video in the YouTube version, it's hard to take them seriously. It's actually kind of disturbing to look at. 
Uh, he's just this big, angry guy, sweating profusely, raging into a microphone to the point where it looks like his head is literally going to explode. It's a sight to behold. It's horrific. And I like how someone is talking about how if you believe in his God... You don't need to worry about a highly contagious virus. You know, the gall to be uttering that kind of shit and then talk about being of sound mind. If you have a sound mind, you don't need masks. And this is what sucks as a content creator, is that something that shouldn't be political or shouldn't be such, you know, a live wire to talk about. Um, you know, talking about common sense health precautions during a global pandemic. You know, something like we should all be able to get together and want to solve this situation and do what we have to to get through this. And yet it's become so politicized that, yeah, as a content creator, I can feel the pressure on me because I know that most of my listeners are probably, for the most part, ideologically aligned with myself, you know, since they're non-believers, since they're skeptics, and in general, skeptics, non-believers tend to be kind of liberal, lean left. Not always. There's libertarian atheists and even, um, even atheists who might be somewhat conservative or whatever. But I know I have listeners across the board because I've talked to them. So I know I have listeners on the left, I have listeners on the right, and uh, I feel this pressure like if I lean one way or the other, I'm screwed. And what happens is I always come down the side that what matters most is being honest and being true to myself, because if you're mealy-mouthed and if you're too afraid of what how people are going to judge you or if people are going to stop listening to you, people will probably deem you not worth listening to anyway because you don't have a real opinion. But I do feel that pressure, you know, talking about COVID, talking about masks, talking about vaccines, things that should not be fucking political. I'm getting pissed. And yet they're made political. You know, it's like with small... Po I mean, it probably was. I'm sure if you look back in history at like, you know, polio, smallpox, whatever it is, that... There probably were people who pushed back against it at the time. There are probably people who didn't want to get vaccinated. People who downplayed the danger or the risk. And I'm not suggesting that people should hide from the world and, you know, quiver in the corner of their room with the mask on. You know, personally, I do manual labor, so I can't do it from home. <laughs> I wish I could, but you can't. So I've been out, you know, working in the world since the lockdown lifted. I used common sense and wore a mask when I had to, which wasn't a big deal for me because doing construction, you know, I'm used to wearing N95 masks or more heavy duty masks with the big filters on the sides, you know. And so wearing a lightweight disposable mask when I went to a grocery store or something was no big deal to me and actually made me feel like, you know, I'm doing my part. And some people might be cynical and say those masks don't do much. But if I'm not mistaken, the big thing that they do is they help prevent your spittle, your particulates, from spreading to the next person. And so if you have enough people doing that, it does have a kind of, you know, a net effect. It helps. 
And then I think depending on the quality of the mask, it of course also helps to keep you from breathing in other people's respiratory droplets or particulates in the air to a varying degree. And then when, you know, last spring came and the vaccines were made available, I made an appointment as soon as I could. And, uh, you know, haven't been wearing a mask since. Except, uh, it's, there's certain circumstances, like I noticed when you go to the dentist or if you go to a health clinic, they still want you to wear a mask. And I don't think it's a coincidence that medical places like the dentist or health clinics, hospitals, tend to be, you know, those are the places where they're really sticklers about a mask. I wonder why. Could it be that they understand the basics of virology and human health and realize, uh, you know, we probably should be taking this kind of seriously. And yeah, so since becoming fully vaccinated, I don't wear a mask most places. And uh, of course, now there's talk in the news about, you know, bringing masks back in certain circumstances. And believe me, you know, I can be a recluse sometimes. I can be kind of a hermit, but I also have a lot of friends and I like to blow off steam sometimes and, and go to parties once in a while. And so I'm not happy at all about the possibility that we're going to have to kind of backslide a bit. And why is that? Because, I mean, viruses 101, when you don't do enough to keep them at bay, they mutate, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think that whether or not you wear a mask, whether or not you're vaccinated, those things should be a personal choice. I don't think the Gestapo should burst into your house and stick a needle in your arm or, or whatever, you know. Um, but be, you know, be aware of the fact that these are the consequences of not taking things like masks, vaccines, and common sense health precautions during a pandemic seriously. This is what happens. The situation gets worse. We start to lose ground. And that's kind of the irony. The people railing against vaccines and masks are understandably tired of the restrictions and impositions put on us by this pandemic. And yet, if the same people had done their part along the way, like wearing masks when necessary or getting vaccinated, the landscape would probably look quite different. We'd probably all be in a much better place right now regarding our progress in defeating this thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think COVID is going to be with us for a long, long time. But if everyone does their part, we can reach the point where it becomes like the common flu, where, you know, you get a booster shot every year and everyone goes on living their lives and hopefully we won't need the masks and the rest. I personally got the Moderna shot, um, both shots, so I'm fully vaccinated. And they say it's still 93% effective a half a year after receiving the second dose. And I think the last I heard, the statistic was that about 57%, I think, of U.S. adults have received at least one shot. Now, imagine if that was significantly higher, maybe 70-something percent of people fully vaccinated. Uh, it'd probably be, uh, we'd probably be in a significantly better situation right now. And I apologize if it seems like I'm trying to scold or 
lecture you, you know, if you have a different opinion on this than me. Uh, and I apologize for losing my cool too. I slammed my hand on my, on the, on my computer desk. Uh, I had intentionally been trying not to get political on the show and not to discuss COVID, but you know, that Josh Fairstein story falls directly into the wheelhouse of the show. You know, it has to do with religion. It has to do with, you know, uh, a pastor saying some crazy shit. Um, reinforcing some bad ideas, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, it led me into <laughs> this whole tangent on, uh, on COVID. So, I I've been trying, guys. I've been trying to be less political and uh, to not be so divisive, but there it is. So, let's talk about something less controversial, like QAnon. <laughs> and... Uh, Sorry, guys. I'll try. I'll try not to uh, get so you know temperamental with this one. But and usually I don't talk about QAnon much on the show either. You know, I try to stay away from Trump nowadays and all that stuff. But I heard this story and it was just so horrific, so lurid, and I'm like, I gotta talk about this one. So. It's entitled, and this is from CBS, Man says he killed his kids over QAnon conspiracy theories and quote-unquote serpent DNA, fearing they'd become monsters. And so this story is dated August 12th. Yeah, I just heard about this over the weekend. And so it begins, Los Angeles, a California surfing school owner, was charged Wednesday with killing his two young children with a spear gun in Mexico because he believed they would become monsters, authorities said. Matthew Taylor Coleman, 40, of Santa Barbara, is facing a federal charge of the foreign murder of U.S. nationals, the U.S. Attorney's Office said in a statement. Coleman confessed to the FBI during an interview that he took his two-year-old son and 10-month-old daughter to Rosarita, Mexico, and I think this is a typo. It says, where shot a, it should probably be where he shot a, spare fishing gun into their chests, according to an affidavit filed by an FBI agent with the criminal complaint. And it's really eerie because they include a picture of the family and it looks like the perfect all-American family. You know, a young family, the dad looks, what did it say? I think it said he was 40 or something like that. He looks youngish. He looks like he's in his 30s, takes care of himself. You know, perfect haircut, perfect amount of stubble or beard, you know, smiling. Uh, even though the mother's face is blurred out, it still looks like this picturesque, perfect family. And it's kind of, you know, scary because it goes to to show that you, you never know. You know, you never know what someone else is capable of, no matter how perfect they might seem on the uh, surface. And so it continues, Coleman and the children had checked into a Rosarita hotel on Saturday, but video footage showed them leaving before dawn on Monday, Mexican authorities said. The man returned alone later that morning and then left the hotel for good, authorities said. Let's see, so I'll skip down a bit. Coleman was detained at the border checkpoint, where during an interview with an FBI agent, he explained that he was enlightened by QAnon and Illuminati conspiracy theories and was receiving visions and signs revealing that his wife, A.C., possessed serpent DNA and had passed it on to his children, according to the affidavit. 
He's accused of dumping the children's bodies in a ditch near Rosarita. Let's see. The station says Coleman's wife reported to Santa Barbara police on Saturday that the family was getting ready to go camping when her husband suddenly took off with the children in the family's van. She said she didn't know where they were going and he hadn't answered her text messages. Coleman's wife said she didn't believe the children were in any danger, that she hadn't had any problems with Coleman, and in quotes, they did not have any sort of argument before he left, according to the court affidavit. Affidavit, uh, drinking game word of the week. Let's see. CBS LA says Coleman told FBI agents he'd put his daughter in a box because he didn't have a car seat. What the? Coleman is the founder of the Love Water Surfing School in Santa Barbara. The family's neighbors in Santa Barbara told CBS LA they're shocked and that Coleman seemed like a good family man. One said he is, uh, in quotes, shocked and also, in quotes, stunned. He called it immensely tragic. And we can probably all agree on that. Definitely immensely tragic. And these poor kids, so young and betrayed by their own father and shot in the chest with a spear gun. And so there's only a, you know, a few possibilities here. One is that I think conspiracy theories alone couldn't make you kill your children like this. I think people tend to compartmentalize. You know, on the one hand, you might have these crazy conspiracy theories that you believe in to some varying degree. Maybe uh, you just enjoy the suspension of disbelief and uh, you feel like believing in this stuff makes your life more exciting. Maybe you might even really believe in this stuff to the point where you might do something like storm the Capitol. I know, getting political. But, you know, most people would draw a line. At, you wouldn't kill your own kids because of a conspiracy theory. But a combination of severe mental illness and conspiracy theories might get you there. And I want to be careful because the majority of people who are mentally ill are not violent. Um, you know, there's mental illness in my own family, schizophrenia and that kind of thing. I myself have talked openly on the show about how I struggle with things like depression and anxiety, chronic pain. You guys know all about it. Technically, I think depression and anxiety can be classified as mood disorders rather than mental illness, but you get my point. Yeah, even people who are schizophrenic, uh, most of them, most of them are nonviolent. But yeah, a combination of uh, severe mental illness fueled by conspiracy theories, I think that could possibly result in someone killing their children. You know, the conspiracy theory puts the idea in his head that there's these lizard people out there and the psychosis, you know, makes him view his children as having been tainted by these lizard people or whatever and that his wife is, you know, has serpent DNA. And this is all very, you know, shades of David Icke. I remember talking with my friend Crocoduck about how even though... Uh, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I just find it weirdly entertaining to listen to people like David Icke talk about how there's interdimensional aliens and lizard people out there, you know? I've had this habit since I was young where I like to fall asleep while listening to kind of long-form content, documentaries, and that kind of thing. And I used to like to fall asleep while listening to like hour or two hour long David Icke uh, lectures. Or I'd fall asleep while listening to one of uh, Alex Jones's early documentaries like the uh, 
Bohemian Grove one, etc. And in fairness to Alex Jones, Bohemian Grove is pretty messed up. But uh, there's another guy I used to like to uh, watch and kind of fall asleep to. I think he, I don't know if he was booted off of YouTube or what. This English guy named Chris Everard or, or something like that. And uh, he used to make these wacky, like, cobbled together documentaries um, where he'd talk about stuff uh, stuff I'm into, like the Ars Goetia, the Lesser Key of Solomon, demonology, and he'd weave it all together into these lurid conspiracy theories. Uh, I used to have a playlist of his stuff, and once again, I didn't believe in any of the assertions. I just found it like you know, entertaining and fascinating to, to uh, listen to. But yeah, I think uh, most of his content has been wiped from YouTube. But another possibility is that this guy isn't mentally ill and that he just wanted to get rid of his kids, get rid of the responsibility of having a family. And so he used, uh, you know, this story about being influenced by conspiracy theories as a as an excuse and may even have tried to you know come off as mentally ill so he can possibly use that as a legal defense down the road but if that's the case then you know if he just wanted to get out from under the responsibility of having a family why not just leave disappear why kill the kids why kill the kids but leave the wife alive you know very strange but yeah, horrible, and I feel bad saying it, yet a kind of darkly fascinating story. Uh, and I, I hate saying darkly fascinating because it sounds like by saying it's fascinating, you're getting some kind of entertainment out of this awful story about these poor kids. One of them, I mean, what was it, two and ten months old, being killed by their own father. But I wonder if he did have a history of mental illness, if it was, say, schizophrenia, um, the onset of schizophrenia usually occurs maybe your late teens, early 20s. This guy was 40. Uh, you'd think someone would know something about, you know, if he had a history of, of that kind of thing. And if this guy was in the grip of some kind of severe mental illness, maybe I could have like a scintilla of compassion or feel bad for him in a way because it wasn't entirely his fault. But if this whole thing about the conspiracy theories and receiving visions and his wife having, you know, thinking his wife had serpent DNA is all a BS made up story, then I don't even want to say what I'd want to see, you know, happen to this guy uh, killing those those kids. And I'm not a lawyer, surprise, but I think the way in which he dispatched of his own children and disposed of the bodies, etc. Uh, I think it was too methodical for him to be able to hide behind, um, you know, an insanity plea. Like I touched on in that, you know, Sons of Sam review episode I did not that long ago, that there's a difference between being, you know, diagnosed as clinically insane and being seen as legally insane and being able to hide behind that. You could be, um, you know, clinically insane, maybe, you know, you're... you're schizophrenic or whatever but if your actions seem like you knew what you were doing and you behaved uh, methodically you can still be seen as being responsible for your crimes but either way i think the guy uh, forfeited his society membership you know he's gonna be taken off the streets obviously you know for for the good of everyone 
I think that probably goes without saying. Uh, but uh, after that cherry story, uh, let's uh, call this episode a wrap, shall we? Um, yeah, sorry to end on such a uh, bummer story, man. But uh, I had a few more I was going to do, but it's almost uh, we're almost 40 minutes in. And I have to get up and work tomorrow. So, yeah, I'll call it a wrap. As always, thank you everyone for listening, and you know the drill, you can like the Facebook page, you can follow the show on Twitter, I'm kind of active there, kind of not. Uh, you can check out the YouTube channel, maybe you're doing that now, and if you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. Alright brothers and sisters, until the next time. 